with guys just not being motivated at all to raise money, guys just not really caring. And I think you need to do a couple of things. One, you need to be able to empathize with them. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Teak Nation. This is Cole Connor, your undergraduate representative on the Grand Council, uh, coming to you today live with a special St. Jude episode of the Teak Nation podcast. We've brought some of the fundraising juggernauts from the Virginia Tech chapter, as well as the godfathers who laid the foundation to raise over $500,000 in three years for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. It's my hope today that we can get a sneak peek into the Krabby Patty formula that is Teak Week at Virginia Tech. But before we get into that, let's go around the horn and meet some of the people we've got the pleasure of talking to today. I want to start with the grandfathers. Chris, Paul, give us a little more information about you guys. All right, I guess I'll start. How's everyone doing? Uh, my name is Chris Catazone. Uh, as you noted, uh, graduate of Virginia Tech. I graduated in 2017. Uh, I started my uh, TEAK experience in the fall of 2013 in my uh, freshman year at Tech. And... Uh, yeah, now I'm living up in New York and happy to continue contributing to uh, Teak and giving back and yeah. Awesome, my name is Paul Figali. Hope how you guys doing? Just like Chris, started off my uh, Teak experience several years ago. Graduated in 2018. Um, you know, Chris and I really revamped uh, the entire process of what was going on with their fundraising. So you know, really fortunate. You know, for those experiences that you know we uh, we shared together. Now I live up in uh, Detroit, um, work at General Motors. So living up here in Detroit, the Paris of the Midwest. Last but not least, we've got the, the man who runs the show down in Virginia Tech, Piero. Hey guys, um, obviously as introduced, my name's Piero. Um, I'm the current, current Cretanist over at Virginia Tech's chapter of Teak, um, the Zyomega chapter. And, I've been at Virginia Tech actually since my sophomore year. Interesting um, experience going in and, you know, meeting a great group of guys there when I, when I transferred into the school. And, you know, it's been a great ride ever since. And um, happy to talk about, you know, the awesome stuff that we, we've been doing lately with St. Jude. Awesome. Well, I kind of wanted to get the ball rolling here today, um, you know, starting with Chris and, and Paul. You know, you guys have laid a foundation that's, incredible i mean it's 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 super unique um but we all know you know why you guys are here you're the best in the business um but it didn't happen overnight you guys didn't wake up one day and just say you know we're going to raise five hundred thousand dollars in three years you know what was that snowball effect like where did that come from sure that's a great question Cole. Uh, I, I guess i'll start since uh i guess i was at virginia tech before paul um i guess a little more background um you know prior to me being at virginia tech in 2013 um teak ceased to exist on campus uh you know so i think in around 2012 uh is when you know teak started to you know fight for their recognition back on virginia tech's campus and in 2013 they got that back and they organized what was at the time their first Teak Week, you know, getting people involved to raise money for St. Jude. And, and that year they raised something like $8,000. Um, and I know at the time that probably seemed like a million bucks. Um, the year after that, uh, 2014, was my first Teak Week at Virginia Tech. And 
we raised about $25,000. And it was that year that our, our leadership, our president, our philanthropy chairs and whatnot, made a commitment to raising $100,000 in five years, right? So I, I think a big and integral part of our success is committing ourselves to something you know, greater than ourselves. Um, and the quote I always like to say is, you know, sometimes you'll be planting a seed so that somebody else can sit in the shade in the future. You know, these guys that established the initial framework when we were raising a few thousand dollars wanted to do something that they weren't even going to be there to see the benefits of, right? So 2014 rolls, or 2015 rolls around and we raised about $40,000 uh, year after that. Paul and I had an incredible experience to go down to Memphis, Tennessee and visit the hospital and be a part of one of the uh, marketing campaigns with St. Jude Antique. And, you know, that experience, I'd say, really, really shaped, um, you know, my passion for this cause, um, you know, getting to meet patients, getting to meet the families of patients and seeing what, what our money is really going towards. And, you know, I'll never forget that plane ride coming back from Memphis, Tennessee. Paul and I were sitting next to each other. And at the time, you know, Paul had the title of philanthropy chairman. I said, man, like, we got to do something. I want to do something more. How can I help you? Um, you know, let's do something great. And I guess I'll, I'll pass the torch over to, to Paul to, to take it from there. But that's really when we started to work together. Uh, right after that trip down to Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, I believe it was 2016. Yeah, I mean, that trip played a huge foundational part in, you know, revamping the whole thing and doing what we did and leading to the success we achieved. Um, you know, it's crazy to think that, in retrospect, this was, uh, yeah, 20, 2016. Um, I was supposed to go down with the former philanthropy chair, and he actually wasn't able to make the trip. So, you know, I'm looking around, you know, well, who we should be able to take advantage of this opportunity. So I knew he's a very passionate guy. Um, and, you know, uh, we were talking about it and, you know, he was like, all right, I'll join. So we went down there and it's funny because, you know, had it not been Chris, we wouldn't be sitting here today, um, you know, talking about this. So when we went down, we met this little girl named Abigail and I, you know, Chris and I shared that unique moment where that girl's story inspired us. She was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, she had no idea what was going on. She was, she was very young, maybe four or five, but her parents were, you know, they were crying, but they were smiling. So thankful for the work that we've done. And we're like, you know, we haven't really done much, but you know, they were, they were blessed uh, that, you know, there were people fundraising and raising money for St. Jude to help, you know, uh, a girl like Abigail. So we came back and, this is uh, spring of 2016. We said, all right, guys, let's go ahead. Let's raise $50,000. And everyone's like, well, that's kind of a big jump from what we did last year. Uh, you know, from I think it was initially 32 and then got up to 40. But I think the boutique week specifically prior was it was about a little less than a 50% jump. So we're like, don't worry, you know, Chris and I will be setting everything in plan. Uh, all you guys have to do is come support the events to, uh, you know, just participate, get excited, you know, send out some emails and whatnot. And that year we raised, uh, you know, 62,000. So building off that momentum, Chris and I were like, all right, well, if we can jump that high, then why don't we just, you know, shoot for the stars and, uh, you know, do a hundred thousand dollars. What's holding us back from there. So we come back, this is a uh, winter of 2016. So we're just beginning uh, 2017, January. So first semester of spring, coming back in 2017, 
Chris and I go into chapter and we go in and we say, all right, guys, you know, we're getting ready for Teak Week. You know, we've been preparing all these things and whatnot, um, but we really want to push up our goal. Uh, you know, last year we, we said we we're going to do 50. We hit 62. Um, we're going to do $100,000 this year. And the room was dead silent. Silence. Silence. Like, you, you could hear a pin drop. It was, it was crazy, you know. Uh, and then one of the guys, so we, we kind of knew this was going to happen. So we socialized the idea prior um, to a few people. And so one of the guys, uh, you know, 10 seconds into the silence just goes, let's do it. And everyone just looks at him and, you know, he wasn't like, you know, one of those, those big dudes that, you know, as a loud voice, you know, he was one of the more quiet and everyone's like, what? And then another guy from across the room goes hundred percent, let's do it. And the next thing you know, you just have this room of a hundred guys just yelling, let's do it. There's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, let's become the biggest fraternity um, at Virginia tech for you know philanthropy. Getting goosebumps and, over here. Yeah. And so, you know, we left that meeting, we were fueled. We were completely fueled, and Chris and I knew, uh, you know, we had to provide everyone the resources they needed to succeed, and a lot of different things, you know, had to go into play. Uh, you know, Chris and I spent countless hours of planning, planning, planning to make the work as easy as possible for the individual streets of money. Um, oh, Teak Week started. By the third day of Teak Week, we raised $100,000. We had three more days to go. So we said, forget the $100,000. Let's go to the biggest um, in Virginia Tech history and raise $150,000. That year, we ended at $152,000 raised in about a week, uh, becoming one of the biggest fraternity philanthropies in the United States. Um, and it's crazy to think about how just a few years prior, when Chris was talking about they set up their first Teak Week, they only raised 8000 bucks. And, you know, that jump literally, you know, just came from the hunger and the passion of, of the brothers. Um, you know, it wasn't just one of us that really changed the game here. It was, you know, the combination of everyone's commitment um, to doing this. And then from there, uh, you know, that was my junior year. Chris is senior. He graduated. Um, wanted to make sure that the work we implemented was sustainable. So I stepped down from the position in a coached um adam spears and david anon um and chris you know obviously coached as well and then uh that year they raised 200 grand and right now we've uh, been steadily flowing around there and this year i think the the guys just raised about 157 so you know it's it's crazy to think about uh you know we did all this and how sustainable it is and it shows how it permeates the culture that's incredible so, you know, Piero, you know, you now man the battleship. You're the captain of the ship. I mean, did that come naturally or did you, you know, have to learn it? Were you coached upon it uh, similar to, you know, what Paul and Chris did to their successors? Um, I would say probably it's mostly the work of the philanthropy chairs um, that does a lot of this. But when it comes to your executive board, your, from your Preetness down to your Hegemon, down to your, your Grammateus, it's, it's really – you know, it, it comes down to really what the purpose of the chapter is and what the purpose of, of being a teak means. Um, and when I was running for president, you know, that's obviously one huge thing that guys want to see, especially with the history that we've had with Teak Week. Um, and it's so important to implement that 
that core value that we have um, and to continue to push that mission and not forget where we are um, and who we are. Um, because obviously you can, you can end up turning into a fraternity that is looking, you know, just for, just for the popularity, right? And just for, you know, the, the, not, the, the fraternal things that, you know, we don't like to see and that, you know, isn't really sustainable for the future. Um, and as a leader, as a, in, in a position that I'm in and in a position that other, you know, people are in, um, it takes a lot of humility to be in that sort of position and say, hey, we're in this all deep, we're, we're all in this together and we really need to work on this individually. It doesn't just take one person to, to raise $10,000 by themselves. It takes everybody else lifting themselves up, you know, throughout the week, texting your, your pledge brother and say, hey man, like, how are you doing with this? How can I help you? Um, and so the philanthropy guys, and as Paul and Chris said, it takes months and months of preparation. You know, they're preparing this back in like October, November beforehand and we do this in April. So I think the, the coolest thing that you can see is that how everybody rallies around it so quickly and how everybody really cares about it. Um, and the biggest thing that we saw, especially from, from this year, especially being um, under quarantine, and you know, the guys were really, really not sure about our goal. So we, you know, we scratched the goal of $150,000 and we said, okay, you know what? We're just gonna go for it. We're just gonna do our best. And we actually ended up raising $162,000. Um, we had no expectation of even probably reaching $100,000, but it all came to it all came down to you know how much do we really care about this? And obviously the philanthropy chairs this year were extremely worried, um, you know, regardless of of COVID-19, of quarantine, of keeping that momentum because the year before we had raised 150,000, the year before that we had raised 200,000. You know, it's really hard to keep that energy up and really hard, you know, to not. To, to not settle. Um, and the biggest thing that, you know, Paul and Chris, you know, were, were telling us was just don't get complacent. Um, complacency is just the right, is the initial point of failure. Um, and I think that was the biggest, the biggest point that, and the biggest thing that we took out of this is that regardless of the situation, you know, we couldn't get complacent. We had to work, you know, every, every minute for it and really had to show how much we cared about the cause. And I think what really showed us we cared about the cause so much that not only did we even, did we reach that almost unreasonable goal, we passed it and we kept going. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of my spiel on what happened from this year, but um, yeah, it, it was probably really inspiring this year to see guys sitting at home on their computers and still raising $162,000 for the kids at St. Jude um, and having many limited resources and many limited points of awareness that we could raise on campus. Um, and, you know, it, it really shows in the end, you know, what, what your core values are. Yeah. And it, and it speaks to the, uh, the values that your chapter has and, and what you guys believe in and it's incredible. And so you guys, all three of you guys have kind of touched on this idea of preparation, right. And preparing. And, you know, you talk about starting back from October for an event in April. So a lot of our guys, you know, are pretty interested in, you know, how do I emulate something like this in my home chapter, right? I remember, you know, you know, as Chris knows, we tried to emulate this at our chapter back at the University of Houston in the fall. We only raised about $3,000, but we tried again and we just surpassed the $50,000 mark. So, you know, I've got a good idea that, you know, it does take the planning and preparation, but for someone who's never, you know, had the 
the, the time yet to talk to you guys and understand what that process looks like. Could you kind of go into a little more detail on what that process looks like for Virginia Tech and, you know, starting from the very beginning of preparation to, you know, actually having the event? What does that process look like? Sure. I guess I could start. And I think that's key. Just start. You know, as we've said a number of times, it's, it's building that momentum. And uh, a silly analogy I always like to give is, would you rather have a penny a day doubled over the course of a month or a million dollars right now? Right? Everybody knows a penny a day doubled over the course of a month leads to well over a million dollars in the long term. And you take that, that time frame and that analogy and apply it to planning for something, the earlier you start, the more you have you know, time on your side to compound your efforts into what will inevitably be this great venture, you know, is what we call Teak Week. Um, you know, as Paul alluded to earlier, it, it's really enabling everyone else to be successful and creating things like these letter templates and these, you know, different Facebook posts and emails and whatnot, because, you know, granted, not everybody in a chapter is going to be as motivated as the people organizing something, right? So uh, I think a big thing that, that we tried to focus on was making this process easy for those people that were not as motivated, right? You know, fill in your name, put in the name of the company you're reaching out to and add your donation link. How much easier could it get, right? Um, and, and another big thing is, is having a team. You know, I couldn't have done this by myself. Paul couldn't have done this by himself. The fact that I graduated a year before Paul, you know, let, let, left him at Virginia Tech the year after, right? And he had the opportunity to teach the people, you know, in, in earlier uh, grades who did the same thing to the people who are now running the show, right? So I, I think there's a lot of different things that go into, uh, you know, the planning aspect. And, and it really is focused around building momentum and having a strong team. Um, you know, an exercise that, that Paul did that I absolutely love is for accountability is, you know, giving everybody in the chapter an index card, right? And on that index card, having them write down how much money do you think you'll be able to raise for Teak Week this year, right? And then write down 10 people you're going to reach out to and then five ways that you're going to go about doing that, right? So now you've got your, your chapter writing down all of their goals and what they think they can raise, how they're going to do it and who they're going to reach out to. So now as the philanthropy chairman, you know, Paul and I had these index cards and that was accountability. You know, we're starting to really build our momentum and our efforts. And we see guys haven't made, you know, those St. Jude donation portals yet. We see guys haven't, you know, raised a dollar, but they said they were going to raise 250. Now we can reach out to them and enable them, right? Give them the tools and the resources to help them hit that goal. Uh, and I think that was a very uh, important and integral part of, of our successes, those, those intimate one-on-one -on -one conversations with guys to see how we could help them, you know, reach that goal. Um, Paul, you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, Chris made a lot of great points there. Um, one of the foundational um, aspects that's probably fundamental to this whole thing is education and educating the person on what they're raising money for. So that means knowing a lot about St. Jude, knowing everything they're involved with, knowing you know, what their success rate is. Being able to fully comprehend what you're raising money for is, is uh, so important. 
So um, what we did to capitalize on that is, you know, I could talk to you all day about St. Jude, you know, founded was in 1962 by Danny Thomas. When it first opened, the pediatric survival rate was 20%. Today it's well over 80, 4% leukemia, uh, now 94% for uh, ALL. You know, I could talk to you all day about it, but it's really not gonna get to anything unless you go see it for yourself. So what we did is we planned an annual trip down there for the guys to learn. And uh, it's funny, so everything we did you know, we had the concept, we had the idea, but then we had to add a twist to it. We had to add an incentive to it. So we planned this trip down to Memphis to go down to the hospital. And, you know, we initially had like 20 guys sign up. And we're like, what? That's like a fifth of our team. Like oh, 20 guys. We're like, all right, what can we do here? All right, so let's team up with Tri-Delta, get them to come down with us that same weekend. Within a week, you know, we had 60 guys coming down. <laughs> And, you know, we get down there and we planned with St. Jude everything. Um, you know, we worked very close with their team and we planned a whole day of activities. And so we get to St. Jude, we take pictures with, you know, everyone, Tri-Delta and Teak and whatnot. And then we split up into two different teams. It's all the Teaks and all Tri-Deltas because we're there for our own uh, organizational understanding. So, um, and the tours are catered a little uniquely for both. So, uh, you know, we go about the day, we see the hospital, we do the tour, they hear and learn. Um, we were very fortunate. They split us up into small groups of about six to eight, and we each had our own tour guide. And then at the end, we all congregated together, um, and specifically the Teaks, and we heard from patients, and we heard their stories. And you turn around after, you know, one of those speakers would share their story, and you just see a room full of all these, you know, macho fraternity men absolutely in tears, you know, crying because they were so touched and impacted impacted. Now, building up on that uh, momentum Chris is mentioning, um, we plan this to be a week before we start Teak Week, because once you're able to instill that fire into someone, and they're ready, and they're hungry, and they want to go help, um, you know, we say, all right, you know, we've set up every single resource we th think you need to succeed. Um, and that goes to what Chris is talking about. Every single template that you could imagine is already done. All you have to do is put in a one sentence at the top, one at the bottom, the whole thing will flow and you can send it to, you know, whoever you want, all the Facebook posts, um, you know, everything. And so um, that right there was, you know, a huge, the education was, you know, fundamental to building up that momentum. And then, you know, it's what Chris was talking about, having that whole team aspect um, and everybody getting behind it and everybody wanting to do it, you know, it's, uh, you know, building, it's, it's all about building the culture around it. And if yeah. I, uh, oh, so go ahead. Cole. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, one of the things that, you know, I wanted, you, you know, you talk about this all the time, Chris, is how important it is to visit the hospital. I don't think a lot of people realize like how far that trip is for you guys. It's not a quick little, you know, one hour jet over. I mean, explain, you know, the logistics and of just planning such a far trip like that. I don't even know. What is it? 11 hour car ride, uh, Paul Piero? Yeah. Yeah. About, and I, and I think that that's a testament to our dedication and passion for this cause. You know, we're going, we're driving longer than we're physically at the hospital. We go for what, an hour, two hour tour, three hours at max after we've had the pleasure of hearing people speak to us. You know, we've, we've fully embraced this, this culture and passion for the cause. And, 
you know, I think anybody that lets themselves get vulnerable enough to have something like this influence them, you know, it will inevitably lead to their success and drive their, their hunger to do more. You know, there's always more we could be doing for this, this cause. Yeah. So, I mean, that 11 hour, uh, 12 hour car ride, I mean, that's, that's not something that happens overnight. You know, what, what's the planning like, who are you getting in contact with, uh, to even plan some kind of trip like that, you know, to get over to St. Jude and get your tour set up. So what does that process look like? So um, it's working primarily with uh, your regional representative. Um, you know, St. Jude has them scattered throughout the whole U.S. Um, ours at the time was, uh, well, actually it switched a couple of times, but um, I know right now it's Sarah Witten. I'm working with them to get down there. Uh, you know, we've been down there many times, uh, fortunate to have been. So we have a, a pretty strong network down there. Um, we're working directly with the St. Jude team. Um, but if anyone's looking to get involved, it's, it's a couple simple uh I guess, steps, you know, working with your St. Jude representative, I'm working with uh, Nate Lehman, who's, uh, you know, our teak uh, representative for St. Jude, you know, just being in touch with those people and knowing you can lean on them, uh, you know, to help facilitate and organize this trip. It's a lot easier, um, uh, you know, working with them, but, you know, you do have to commit to whatever the distance is, you know, for us, it was 11 hours uh, of driving, um, you know, overnight, how to get there because they only do the tours during the weekdays. Um, so how to get there for Friday morning tour. Um, so, you know, you just have to commit. But if you're interested, you know, just reach out to your local St. Jude representatives um, and, you know, work with them to organize something. And I think even if you can't physically make the trip here this year with uh, all the stuff going on with COVID-19, you guys were able to do a virtual tour, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and actually, that was super effective um, because that was one huge thing we were worried about. And the, what you guys touched on earlier was, you know, kind of instilling a fire within people and really educating people about the cause. You know, we're worried about tons of the younger guys um, who hadn't even had a trip to, to Memphis. Um, but luckily, we were able to do that virtual tour. And not only were we were able to show our younger members, but we were also able to show our parents at home while we're all sitting at home quarantined. And, you know, I just had my parents sit in on that. And they asked me tons of questions and they were like, oh, I had no idea St. Jude did this. Um, and I told, when I initially told them about the cause, I was like, yeah, St. Jude pays for everything. And then my dad was like, oh, well, do you, do they pay for housing, food and all this stuff? So I'm like, yeah, literally everything. Family doesn't get a single bill. I mean, it was one of those like incredible things. It's like, it is a huge realization. It's like, you know, you, you just show them the simple things and you show them that tour and Sarah did an excellent job. I mean, these people are really good at what they do and they've done it a lot, but you know, I was able to send that video out to my grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever, you know, you name it. Um, and it was kind of a blessing in disguise too, because, you know, we get to go on the, on the Memphis trip, but of course we can't record it and things like that. So being able to show our donors and our, you know, whoever was supporting us behind this was, was really cool. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to go in reverse a little bit because, you know, you guys talked about, you know, raising money and, and you know, the planning that goes behind it. And, yeah, I think a lot of our guys are looking for, you know, like the magic bullet. They want to know what's this magic, this perfect event, you know, that we're going to raise all this money at, right? Is it, you know, pieing a teak? Is it a dunk booth? Like what, you know, what's, what's that look like? The, the awareness versus raising money, you know, where's, where's the formula in that? Like where have you guys found success in raising the most amount of money for St. Jude? Sure. Uh, good question, Cole. And I, I think um, 
you know, with that, it's important to understand where you should be focusing your efforts. So if you look at the breakout year over year of what we were able to raise, let's say my senior year when we raised $152,000, almost 130 of that came from online donation portals that every single chapter already has set up for them. You know, the other $20,000, $25,000 came from on-campus events. So the way I always looked at it was, you know, have this social media presence and then have your local community, the campus presence, doing a lot of the marketing for you. And what goes into that? You know, we talk about all this planning. It's getting the collective effort of not only your guys, but of all the organizations on campus. So I'll tell you at Virginia Tech, I mean, Paul and I would spend our Saturdays and Sundays, um, you know, going around chapter to chapter and pitching Teak Week. You know, I emailed over 800 student organizations um, at Virginia Tech to get them to, you know, volunteer their time and contribute monetarily or, you know, just showing up at events. Um, so I, I think using the size of your campus and, you know, your networks to your advantage is, is the most beneficial. You know, like one of the big things we did was, you know, we, we, after we'd get organizations to participate, we'd have them make their own donation links. And then we'd have them post a picture of when they were a baby, right? And write a little excerpt about why they were thankful for their childhood and that experience. And then a little note, you know, that St. Jude Children's Research Hospital gives kids another chance at life, you know, that are fighting these terrible pediatric diseases. And then, you know, with that picture, add your donation link. And you never know who's gonna see that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it might be. Um, so I think leveraging your networks and having a strong social media campaign is very, uh, very key to this success. Yeah, and, and Paul, you know, what does it look like when you guys are, are walking into a, uh, you know, a sorority house or another fraternity house? Like, what does it look like or when you're stepping into a student orgs meeting? What does that look like when you guys are pitching Teak Week? I mean, you know, how do you get because you guys have tons of organizations who join with you to help raise all this money. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's not just the guys from the Teak chapter of Virginia Tech. It's, I mean, an entire campus of Virginia Tech students are helping reach one singular cause. So what does that look like when you guys are meeting with people and you're telling them about what you guys are doing? So there are over 800 organizations at Tech. Um, you know, as Chris mentioned, you know, we reached out to all of them. Uh, you know, trying to get them in, involved in supporting us for Teak Week. And now all these organizations have their own agendas. They have their own philanthropies that they work at. So it's, you know, it has, there's some difficulty in persuading them to support our cause. So um, like Chris said, Saturday, Sunday from about, what, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., you know, we're fully suited up. Um, you know, tie, actually, no, we didn't wear ties. We just did full button down and blazers and whatnot. That was the one criteria, no ties. <laughs> and, uh, we're fully suited up. We have our pitch down. We have it all nailed down. Um, and we're in there being as professional as possible, showing them as serious as we are. And, but, you know, adding fun to it. And, you know, a lot of the times, you know, they get guys just strolling in and, you know, being very uh, monotone in their voices and whatnot. You know, you don't hear their passion behind what they're doing. But, you know, Chris and I had at a whole level of passion carrying our conversations through. Now, when you tell these organizations that, you know, the year we want to do 100 grand, um, you said, you know, all right, yeah, you know, last year we did 62. This year we're going to do $100,000. Um, you guys want to help us out? Everybody just looked at us like we're crazy. 
you know, trying to raise all this money and, you know, have zero precedence. Everyone looked like we were crazy. And I think that was attractive to people trying to help the cause, you know, and they found out other people were, were uh, supporting us. And now the way we facilitated our presentations was, I mean, you had to think from political mindset. You know, if you're going into a room of pikes, you had to know at least 10 of those guys in the room personally, on a personal level, if you were going to present. Because, um, you know, even I could give the best speech, you know, I could ever imagine. But if I didn't know 10, then I'm much better off giving it to another guy to present for me because he has, you know, his connections into it. And I mean, that's, you know, uh, unfortunately, just how the world works, you know, being able to leverage those connections um, and being able to get other people involved, too. You know, that guy who has all his friends in Pike, you know, he might enjoy going in there and uh, presenting to them and trying to get all those guys fired up with them. So, you know, it's, it's kind of fine tuning and, you know, kind of playing each organization. No, none of them were the same. Um, we had different, you know, strategies and tactics for them. But while wow, we spent we spent countless hours presenting to all of them. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you've kind of touched on, you know, getting more guys involved, you know, so it's not just, it wasn't just you and Chris doing everything. Piero, you know, you've overseen this operation. You know, a lot of guys ask, you know, how can I start this culture? You know, how can I motivate guys at our, at our home chapter, right? Because it's only me who wants to do this, right? What does that process look like for you guys at Virginia Tech? You know, being their leader, you know, how do you motivate the guys who maybe aren't, who haven't been to Memphis and, you know, maybe aren't as motivated to want to raise money for St. Jude. What does that look like for you guys? Um, well, I guess for us, I think obviously now Chris and Paul have instilled that culture. So we say, you know, the, this is what our core value is here at Zyomega. This is really what makes us who we are. But when you really look at it big picture and to any other chapter out there, um, look at the, the simple fact of what you pledge to when, you, when you're initiated into the fraternity. Um, you're, you're made to, to be a better man for a better world. And I mean, what, the, what better way to do it through, through St. Through Jude? Um, I mean, of course, some chapters do some other forms of philanthropy, other forms of service to make, you know, a better community around them. But we have such a huge resource and such a huge way to do it through St. Jude that I think it, sometimes it really takes a good, like a chapter or whatever meeting it has to sit everybody down and kind of hit a reset button if you need to and, and say, hey guys, this is really what we're all about. Um, this is something that you're gonna remember much more long-term and be much more proud of than you know your weekend party or a social here and there. Um, because you're gonna say, hey, I was really able to impact a really good cause in a huge way with my friends for life. And that's an extremely powerful tool and an extremely powerful um, message that you can give to your guys because you can say, Hey, like I really care about you guys and I really want to do something cool with you and something that really, really matters. Um, and going back to what Chris and Paul were saying, you know, it, it comes down to the, the fact of doing something greater than yourself. Um, and not only are you doing something greater than yourself or doing something for greater than yourself through St. Jude, but you know, you're doing through the, doing it through building a brotherhood and a community at, at your local tea chapter. You know, you're doing that by creating this, this culture and saying, not only am I going to enjoy my time, but enjoy my time while I'm at my chapter and an active member, but you're going to do that through the long term 
and instill a culture for maybe five, 10 years down the road um, and be able to give that same experience to the guys ahead of the line. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things I wanted to touch on, you know, I put on my Instagram last night, I was asking for questions to ask you guys. Uh, and I got two questions um, specifically from the uh, Merrimack uh, College or the Sigma Kappa chapter. Um, one from PJ and then one from a guy named Jake. And they kind of touch on the same thing. So PJ asked, you know, how do you get your guys motivated? And, and Jake asked a really good question. I think, you know, how do you get the most out of your alumni network for St. Jude fundraising? And how do you approach, you know, looking at alumni and having them get involved in supporting their chapter? Um, I guess I'll, Chris, you can add on this after, but um, I think the biggest thing, especially for us, and especially since Chris and Paul, you know, created this culture around Teak Week and around, you know, the way we raise money for St. Jude, it was key to, to use your connections to the best of your ability um, and to really use, you know, an alumni like Chris or Paul who really know the people in their pledge class and whoever they were current members with um, to, to be able to send that message out and say, hey guys, like this is something we still really care about, contribute if you can, you know, and really use, really use that to the best of your ability because, of course, it's extremely difficult for you to reach out to an alumni you've never met before um, and that you've never really, you know, kept in touch with. So, I mean, obviously, we, we set up like a Facebook page, an alumni page where we update our chapter and give a state of the chapter um, to all of our alumni and are able to give them that sort of that resource. But the best way to do it is through the people that already know them um, and that you have a personal connection to. Um, Chris or Paul, if you want to add on that. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And, you know, going off of what you said, you know, having that Facebook group or those, you know, key contacts that you can get in touch with is, is very important. You know, it's nice to know throughout the year that the, the house isn't on fire and that things are, you know, running, running according to plan, right? So don't wait until you're having a philanthropy week or fundraising to reach out to alumni. Keep that contact throughout the year. You know, maybe send a holiday card, um, maybe, you know, after each pledge class, send out, you know, a little bio about all the new guys, you know, something to keep your alumni engaged, uh, I, I think is very important throughout the course of the year, rather than just when you need their money, you know, as, as someone who will always give, you know, it's nice to know that's not the only, my only role, you know, it, it, it's nice to know that, you know, my opinions and, and whatnot are also valued, um, you know, amongst the undergraduate guys. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I kind of wanted to touch again, uh, Paul and Chris, especially, you know, <clears throat> so a lot of our chapters, once again, aren't lucky enough to come into a culture that's just so rich for St. Jude fundraising. I mean, when you guys were raising $8,000 a year, Chris, Paul, like, what were you telling these guys who just had no care in the world for fundraising money you know because you know a, a good guy ace from the uh, wabash college asked me last night you know in general how do you involve members who don't want to participate or even care about philanthropy and events what can be done to help them get to buy in i think that would be really helpful to tell some of our guys yeah so, oh go ahead paul let you uh start this one off yeah, well, so, um, you know, like Chris said, you know, he joined Teague back in 2013, um, you know, when our fundraising numbers were on the lower side. And, you know, I joined just kind of right on that cusp because, you know, right when I joined, I kind of took this over. But I faced a lot of that, um, you know, with 
guys just not being motivated at all to raise money. Guys just not really caring. And I think you need to do a couple of things. One, you need to be able to empathize with them and understand why they don't care. Because you'll find out a lot of the times they don't care is because they just don't know. They're not educated. Um, and they don't know what it is. They can't put it in perspective. I mean, we're lucky for St. Jude. Uh, I mean, you're helping kids with cancer. You know, if, if you know, your heartstrings don't pull towards that, then I think there's a much deeper problem with you than, than you know, me getting you motivated. But, uh, you know, really being able to connect with those guys and really uh, really understanding why they don't care, what it is that they, they don't see. And then just like anything else, you have to incentivize. You have to incentivize your team to work hard, no matter what you're working on. Because at the end of the day, you can't rely on their own self-motivation to do something. Everybody's in for their own reason. So you need to be able to provide incentives. Um, you know, we, we got uh, creative with a couple different incentives. Um, you know, for example, we go to formals uh, following Teak Week. Uh, we said, you know, you'd get a free trip to formals, which was a few hundred dollars uh, saved up um, for you, uh, you know, to give you the opportunity for you and your date to go free, um, you know, and I guess just motivating them in different ways. Um, but it, instilling the culture is the difficult part. So what we would do, some small activities is like, you know, Friday night, all right, you know, let's, uh, before we all go out and party and whatnot, how about, you know, a small group of guys come over, uh, we'll just hang out for a little bit, you know, six, seven, eight of us, and just start brainstorming on different ideas. Um, and, you know, invite a couple guys, you know, maybe three that, you know, are really into it, and then, you know, switch it up, get some, some guys who've never been involved, and get them involved in, you know, thinking of ideas and brainstorming. Because once you're able to have those guys who are not motivated think of something, they become a little more invested. And once they get skin in the game, they're going to completely take off. So if, you know, they think of a cool concept or idea or a fundraiser strategy, delegate. Let them, you know, run, run off with that idea and do whatever they want with it and just let them know you'll be there for support. And it will be amazing seeing the results you get from those people. Yeah, I mean, that's – uh, name of the game. Uh, one of the things uh, that I kind of also wanted to cover, um, you know, our chapter, right? Chris, you saw the journey. You know, I, I, you guys aren't superhumans, right? You're just your average, you know, teaks just like the rest of us across the country. You know, for, for a chapter who's never done something like this before, you know, what are the steps to starting a tradition like this? Because, you know, at Houston, you know, we took a lot of what you guys did with, you know, the personal links and, you know, using the templates and being able to send those out and kind of setting everything up for success, you know, going into going into Teak Week with a game plan, starting off, you know, the Dallas Cowboys don't go to the Super Bowl without a game plan, right? Haven't done it in years, but back when they used to, um, you know, what does that game plan set up look like for a uh, for a chapter who's never done something like this to hope, hopefully instill a tradition for years to come like Virginia Tech has? Paul, do you want me to go or? Yeah, let's hear it. Um, let's, I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as I touched on earlier, I, I really think it's just a matter of getting started. You know, it, what's the old saying? The journey of a thousand miles starts with one single step, right? So to establish something, you just have to be passionate enough and care enough to get started. 
You know, just like the guys when we first came back to campus in 2013 established something and raised $8,000, right? They started with nothing but passion. They cared about a cause that was greater than themselves. So, you know, I encourage anybody that's listening to this and, and passionate and that cares enough to be that person, to be that voice that leads the way, you know, start, start somewhere and realize that it's, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have a lot of days where you're, you know, on top of your schoolwork, you've got late nights working towards this and early mornings, but do it with somebody. You know, I, I could not have done this without Paul and I don't think Paul could have done it without me. It's a group effort and it's a team game. Um, and a lot of it's going to fall on you as the one person who's passionate and cares. You know, like we continue to say, we made this process as easy as we could for everybody involved, you know, with these templates, these letterheads and whatnot, you know, because at first, not everybody's going to buy in. Not everybody's going to care the way that you do. But it goes back to that compounding effect that I alluded to earlier. You know, once you get the ball rolling, you know, you, you push that snowball down the hill, it just keeps building and building and building and building, you know, so just get started. And maybe the first year you'll raise $500. But the next year, I guarantee you, you're going to do a little bit more than that. And the year after that, you're going to do a little bit more. You know, you got to keep it going. And you might not be an undergrad when you get to see the success that happens because of what you started. But I guarantee you the guys that started this and that cared enough in 2013 to, you know, do the inaugural Teak Week, they're looking back now with big smiles on their face to see that, you know, what was once $8,000 is now 200 plus thousand dollars. So simple point, but just get started and care enough to get started and be passionate about it because that passion is what emulates and what people grab onto. Yeah. And I, you know, our chapter at the University of Houston started, got two, three, maybe four years ago. We started out with a $300 donation. And I remember watching guys in our chapter clap for it. And I couldn't believe it, right? So everybody starts from somewhere. And I think that really, you know, it's a testament to what you guys have, have done and, you know, practicing on your trade. Um, you know, I wanted to end this podcast uh, as well for, for Piero, you know, give you a platform to tell us what the future looks like for Virginia Tech. You know, what are your guys' goals and, you know, where are we headed this next coming year? What, what do you guys have on the horizon? Um, well, hopefully we can be in person in school, first of all. Um, <laughs> that would be one step in the right direction. But um, I think, you know, I, I was really inspired by our, our pledges, actually, our potential new members. Um, they actually, as a pledge class, raised the most money out of all the pledge classes um, throughout our chapter. Um, and there was 15 of them, and our average pledge class size is about 20. So with less guys, they raised, I think, between 15 of them, I think they raised over seventeen or $18,000 between all of them, which, I mean, is unheard of. It, it was just absolutely incredible to see. Um, and... I think the future is really bright for these young guys because, um, you know, being stuck at home and they're being so excited to join a fraternity and, you know, go through the process and, and understand what it means to be antique. Um, of course, it was really disappointing to be sent home and not be able to go experience that in the same way, at least. Um, we still keep in touch with them, of course, but I think this was a huge point of like being able to interact with the and not only that, but to really care about the cause. Um, I mean, 
when when we showed them the the tour um the virtual tour and we had our and then the next day we had our um our teak rally the the saint jude rally um i mean they they were like immediately hooked you could see it all in their faces they were like this is the coolest thing you've ever seen um raising like twenty thousand dollars within two out within an hour, within an hour during the saint jude rally so i thought that was so cool seeing the young guys like really really care about it and they were like this is like this is awesome and i love this group of guys because of it um and that's exactly the culture that we want to keep going because that's what's going to avoid complacency um, because you only become complacent in this sort of process if it becomes a chore you know if this whole philanthropy becomes a chore because if if it starts feeling like a chore then that's immediately when you lose it and that's when you don't have the right intentions for it you're just raising money to try and raise money for your reputa reputation rather than raise money because you see you know kids at the age of two three seven years old you know going through such a difficult time with these pediatric diseases. Um, so I think it's for the future for next year, um, our goal is probably gonna be upwards of, you know, somewhat the same, if not more. Um, we're gonna just keep shooting for the stars and shooting for the best that we can. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we continue to do really well with it. Um, I, I just, am, I'm honestly just really excited about the group of guys, especially the younger ones who have come up and really, you know, taken that culture full full on and and said yeah i want to own it um and i really want to you know take do, do the best that i can for a great cause yeah and just one last thing you know chris and paul you are two guys who are extremely passionate about saint jude um you guys have created you know the foundation that has essentially changed this fraternity in the way that we do fundraising for saint jude forever um you know i wanted to give you guys an opportunity to speak to in the entire Teak Nation, maybe give some words of encouragement um, as, you know, chapters look to begin starting to, you know, change their culture at their home chapter. Definitely. I would say, um, I mean, first off, I'm extremely proud of uh, Piero and Kyle and Terrence and that team. I'm continuing this tradition um, of making better men for a better world, truly delineated through um, what we're doing and what's going on down there with St. Jude. Um, to all those guys listening, um, put it in perspective. You know, what did you do to deserve the childhood you had? Because odds are none of us deserved any of the blessings we have. You know, for me to grow up cancer-free versus that girl Abigail I mentioned to be going through different rounds of chemo, you know, I deserved, I did nothing to deserve the position just as she did. So when you shift the perspective and you create that mindset um, and you, you know, ignite that fire in your eyes and, you know, in your heart to go do something about it, you will run a million miles an hour for as many hours as you can imagine. Like it, it is crazy to think about what you can do when you shift that perspective. There's nothing in your way. You will be able to accomplish anything you want. You'll be able to push past anything you've ever imagined or fathomed um, well beyond just what goes on with, you know, the fundraising for St. Jude, but deeper into the meaning of life. Um, when you're able to do something for someone who can never repay you, that's truly when you start digging in to the meaning of life. Chris, I'm not sure I can, sure I can follow up. I'm not sure I can follow up with that. It was very eloquently said, uh, Paul. 
Yeah, I'm a little too deep. <laughs> no, 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 it no, was, that good. was awesome. It was good. I mean, uh, what was the, the question again? Uh, it was just, uh, you know, just send us, yeah, it sent us home with some motivational advice on, you know, how to hit the ground running, essentially. <laughs> Tall order. Um, you could leave us with a really good quote. I know you got a lot of those. You're a big quote guy. Whatever you feel or nothing. I mean, we could just leave it at Paul. I don't want to undermine or what Paul said. Any stories come to mind, uh, Paul, that we should uh, should touch on or? No, I mean, Chris and I used to work on a 24-hour cycle. You know, Chris would wake up at like 4 or 5 a.m. Jesus. And be grinding all day. And then, you know, from there, I would carry the torch and grind till about the time he woke up like every day it was just 20 like i would wake up to a bunch of uh you know, <laughs> updates from chris and then he would wake up to a bunch of updates from me and uh you know it was it was a it was a funny cycle it was a fun process it really was man it's so nostalgic thinking about these things talking about this stuff it, it really really was a great uh great four years of my life I definitely do want to say a huge thank you to Tom Coon. Um, That gentleman saw so much potential in us that we didn't even see at the time. And he really, you know, knocked down any barriers in our way and was a huge astronomical, uh, you know, asset to our team. And he's the reason for our success. Yeah, I I would touch on that too. I mean, as an advisor, he's just – he texts me almost every day saying, you know, whether it's Teak Week or not, it just as a, you know, in the position my man and having to, you know, manage a lot of stuff. It's like, he, he texts me like with a morning text of like inspiration and I'm like, you know, back up on my feet and like ready to run through a brick wall, you know. Um, it's, and especially during Teak Week, he's like, you know, don't get complacent, don't get complacent, keep going, keep going. Um, and especially, you know, Chris and Paul and other alumni who are really involved with this too are just, um, really helped a lot. And, you know, yeah, I think, you know, that was a huge key to success is just being able to, you know, even if you're like discouraged and like this whole thing and you're overwhelmed and seemingly like can't do it, you know, you have a guy who's had the experience since 2012 when as a chapter we were restarting and, you know, had to start completely from scratch. Um, and, you know, after six, seven years of where we were. Um, and I thought that was probably the coolest you know, thing I could see. And I guess, I guess I'll uh, end us off with a quote just because that's, uh, that's what I like to do. Uh, I'm a big, uh, big fan of embodying the mantra, you know, jump off the cliff and, and, and build your parachute on the way down, you know, be ambitious in these, in these endeavors and these goals. And, you know, something that Paul and I always would say is like your greatest danger is not in setting a goal too high and failing to meet that mark it's setting it too low and reaching it you know everything that we were able to accomplish was because we were ambitious i I, you ask me or paul if we were scared when we said we're going to raise fifty thousand dollars and then a hundred thousand dollars heck yeah we were i mean it's a daunting and frightening thought to put your name your word your organization's reputation on the line for something that means more to you than anything else in the world, man, that says something, you know, and just to conclude, be ambitious, 
go out there and make a difference and change the world. That's, that's why we're part of this organization and we're all capable of doing it. Um, you know, it's been awesome being on this podcast and I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, Chris, Paul, Piero, I, I thank you again for uh, coming in today and, and giving us a little chunk of you guys' uh, brains today. I really appreciate it. I can't imagine, you know, all the calls that you guys get and text messages and DMs and everything. So, you know, I really, really appreciate because I know that there are a lot of guys across North America who are really interested in, you know, changing the way that their chapters do stuff uh, and, you know, raising some more money. So this was just, I cannot thank you guys enough. I mean, this is, I go back again on my quote. I mean, this is going to help fundamentally change the way Teak fundraises for St. Jude forever. And, you know, you guys have essentially changed the fraternity. I mean, eventually they're going to write down your guys' names in this, this Teak guide, you know, years from now, talking about the work that Chris and Paul set out. And I mean, it's, it's just really, really awesome. I, I love it. Thank you guys for tuning in and spending some time today with us. Absolutely, man. Happy to do so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Cole. Teak Nation, thank you guys for listening in. If you guys have any questions, uh, you guys want to reach out to somebody on the staff because you guys are interested in doing some fundraising, uh, go ahead and reach out to either Nate, your regional director, or somebody at the staff, and they will direct you towards the right people. Um, if you if you guys really enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and leave us a comment. Let us know how we did. And if you guys have any future uh, ideas for episodes, go ahead and leave that in the comment as well. We're just trying to give you guys what you guys are looking for.